0: We're recording, aren't we? Yeah. Yeah. So, hi. Welcome to Detroit Strange.
1: That's Jessica.
0: That's Alex over there.
1: So, we were just talking about how we uh, were on another podcast recently, another podcast on the network, Ambient Improv, with Justin Vieira.
0: Yeah. It was a lot of fun. Uh, We also realized we've never done improv together.
1: Yeah, it was our first time doing improv together. It was fun.
0: Yeah. Also, it was uh, our first time recording, I think, for both of us, recording any kind of semblance of improv, right?
1: Yeah. I've never done... I forget how I described it. I think it was like improv without the movement or something.
0: <laughs> well, it's basically like a bat, sort of, like an interpretation of a bat, kind of. I don't really remember what a bat is. I just remember you sit in a dark room and do improv. Huh. Have You you haven't done a bat before? No. I forget the actual... It's a it's a very specific form is just in the dark it might be like a herald in the dark I might be might be wrong about that uh, but yeah you sit in a room and you turn the lights off and you, you do the improv just with your voices that's fun yeah it is you know like they do that on like spontaneation basically and stuff too yeah so it it was fun to actually do that
1: yeah it's interesting because like you don't have the physical stuff to go off of but you can also like make it up
0: Mm-hmm. Like, the
1: you talk about, like, oh, like...
0: Stop holding that cup.
1: Yeah. Or something. <laughs> Get off of that cliff.
0: Don't do it. Yeah. Uh, or you could be... I liked that you could be multiple people within, like, a yeah. very short amount of time just by, like, changing your voice or your, you know, effect. Yeah. Uh, I thought that was a lot of fun. And I think in the one episode, I think we used that
1: Yeah, I was... I think I was both the ghost and like one of the, like the teenage boy.
0: Mhm. Yeah, I became a a ghost for a second too. That was a lot of fun. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so you all should uh, check out Amity Improv. It is currently on the incubator, and then it is also about to be released as it's, its own show.
1: Yeah, like I've known Justin for a bit now. We took taking class together, so it was cool to be on his uh, podcast and get to know him a little bit better. And we're hoping somehow we can uh, figure out how to get him on here so we can he's got some Hawaiian spookies, which yes. I didn't know. He grew up in Hawaii until we talked about it. I had no
0: it. idea either. Yeah. And then when he started telling us some of those stories, I was like, Oh
1: man. I was <laughs> like, We gotta have you on. Those are some good Uki spookies.
0: Yeah. And very interesting. And I'm like a lot of it involved like the the culture of Hawaii. A lot of the, the story, you know, the stories you had yeah. because there's like a uh, a lot of like tale telling and things like that. And then also just talking about like the actual like structure and land, like a lot of it had to do with lava, I felt like. Yeah. Which you don't really think about how that affects, you know, buildings and how yeah. that affects neighborhoods and things like that just because we're so far removed from it. So that was really interesting to hear about like the one house being built like on a, um, what was it, like lava tunnel? La- that- yeah,
1: like a lava tunnel or lava flow. Yeah. Something.
0: Yeah. Which was very interesting. I was like, wow.
1: Honey, the only lava I know is lava cake, honey. Oh. Lava. <laughs> it's so good.
0: It was really fun to guest on a show. Like just to kind of show up and it, you know, it was yeah. it was really fun.
1: I know. It's like I don't have sixteen bags of things with me right yeah.
0: now. <laughs> it's just me. Yeah. I'm here.
1: Just me and my plague.
0: (laughs) Yeah. You did a good job, though, of uh, pre-unrolling your cough drops during that. Yes.
1: Yes. Um, It was proper theater etiquette as taught to me in eighth grade. (laughs) Don't need ruffling those wrappers during the opera.
0: No ruffling here.
1: Yeah. No ruffling. I also remember going off on space during one of the episodes. Oh, yeah. And I was like, so I was talking about it with our friend Rania last night about how like I was like, oh, yeah, one episode of our podcast, I just go off on Chris Pratt. And Mm -hmm. then I was like, that's my thing now. I think I just go off on things or people.
0: I mean, that's okay. You still have an open mind, though. Like, if somebody were to approach you about these topics, like, you'll still listen to them. Like, actually, in reference to the Chris Pratt one, I had a very long, detailed conversation with another friend about that. And about how he got blasted uh, socially in a way that was kind of out of his control, too. So, like, he might not have necessarily known Mm -hmm. about his church's uh, specific stance. Yeah. So, just like in a benefit of the doubt or, you know, devil's yeah. advocate kind of way, it might not be him necessarily. He might just have liked some other things and kind of turned a blind's eye essentially to some things. And not that that makes it okay, but he might not have been aware. This was just a conversation I had with a friend. So, you can still hate him if you want.
1: <laughs> I will. Okay, Chris that's fine. a apologist. No I'm just kidding. <laughs> Me and Rania both uh, also were like, He's not that attractive.
0: See, you know.
1: You like the scruffy boys.
0: I like the scruffy boys. And also just, I don't know, he kind of had that teddy bear appeal for while. Like, he doesn't anymore. Like, he got, you know, buff and stuff. And, like, oh. I'm still okay with that. But I don't know. He had that, like, fixer-upper kind of quality for a while that you just, like, want to hug. Yeah. All right. Yeah. I mean, there's a reason I'm, like, super single, so <laughs> let's, let's not beat around the bush. <laughs> same. This
1: isn't a relationship podcast, Oh, though.
0: definitely. Definitely Please not. Please do not take relationship advice from me ever. Oh, me neither. <laughs> I mean, unless you want it to be doomed.
1: I mean, if you email us with the relationship questions, we'll answer them.
0: Oh, that would be fun. That would be a really fun segment. I'd like to see what we come up with.
1: Right. Just, we, yeah, if you have any questions for us, we'll do Q and A some of our episodes mm-hmm. maybe. I don't know.
0: We'll be like like Dear Abby or uh Nancy Brown, the Detroit version of Dear Abby, which we'll probably cover at some point. Ooh. Yes. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Speaking of covering things. Okay. Uh anything else we haven't covered as far as catching up and
1: not really. I mean, I'm just job hunting right now, which is
0: uh, the worst. Yeah. I've been doing it like indefinitely for a while now. If anybody knows anything I'm qualified to do, by the way please email DetroitTrains at gmail.com and let me know.
1: Yeah. After this, I have to go take a three-hour long aptitude exam.
0: That sounds fascinating.
1: Right. It's just like part IQ test, part personality index, and part morality index. I'm like, make sure I'm smart, not a sociopath, and have morals, I guess. So.
0: I feel like you will do well on this test.
1: Hopefully. We'll see.
0: <laughs> if not, I'm going to be nervous. No. <laughs>
1: A dumb sociopath (laughs) who has no morals. Oh, what a good mixture! But I can make a cheesecake.
0: That's true. Uh, Alex brought in uh, some cheesecake today because he got himself a new springform pan, and let me tell you, that is one good slice of cheesecake.
1: My God, thank you! It was the first cheesecake I made.
0: Yeah, and he went like he went balls of the wall on it because it was not just a cheesecake; it was a chocolate cheesecake with a chocolate graham cracker crust with fresh strawberries.
1: You know, I've been watching a lot of Great British Bake Off, and so this is what happens.
0: I am all for you continuing to watch all the British Bake Off, especially if it results in things like this.
1: Yes.
0: (laughs) And actually, does that bring us to the drink? It does. I think it does. So today's drink uh, is brought to you by Canadian Club Whiskey. Canadian Whiskey will be very important in my story. Ooh. It was supposed to be a little bit more purple. However, it turned out a little too pink. Uh, First of all, I wanted to use blackberries, but I only had raspberries at home. So it is basically a Lynchburg lemonade, uh, except for with Canadian Club whiskey instead of uh, Kentucky-based whiskey. And it's got a, what was that, tropical fruit lemonade in it that mm. was purple. And then uh, just a, a splash of Simple Syrup, just a little bit to kind of balance out the flavor of the whiskey. And then some fresh raspberries in the bottom for us today.
1: It's very tasty.
0: Yeah, I like very it. Very
1: seasonal. I feel it's a good summer drink.
0: I'm not going to lie. It was a little... Concern when I was buying the lemonade because I saw the purple one and it goes with my episode. So I was like, I'm going to get this purple lemonade. I hope it doesn't taste like crap.
1: It tasted good to me.
0: Yeah, it's. I think, again, it balances out with the whiskey enough. I don't know if I would drink it on its own.
1: Yeah. But it was pretty. That's how I'm with LaCroix.
0: Oh, I love LaCroix. If it doesn't have vodka, I don't see the point. (laughs) Fair. Did you know, by the way, that they make 16-ounce White Claws? This is a game changer. (laughs) I know. I know. I was like, what... They're 140 calories, but... I can take the extra 40
1: calories yeah. for 16 ounces.
0: Yeah. Get four extra ounces out of that. Yeah. So, yeah. Just uh, be on the lookout, apparently. But I yeah. saw them at a bar, and I was like, I did not know that was possible. So, our drink today brings me to, would you like to hear a story? I would love to. Oh, good. I was hoping you'd say yes. <laughs> How awkward would it be if I was like, nope. I'd be like, uh... Oh, I mean, Episode just... over. <laughs> This is our 10 minute episode of Detroit Strange. Thank you very much. Uh, so we I, I covered this topic because we've talked a lot about prohibition like just around stories mm. often on the show. And I don't think we were intentionally doing that, but I wanted to kind of dive a little deeper into what was happening around the era of prohibition in Detroit. Mm-hmm. So statewide prohibition, that's not the topic, but I'll get to the topic in a second. Statewide prohibition became law on May 1st, 1917. This was three years prior to national prohibition. So Michigan had a lot of time. Out of the
1: curve. Oh,
0: yes. So national went in effect midnight on January 16th of 1920. So again, Detroit had a lot of time to kind of practice with getting liquor here. Uh, They were the first city in the nation with a population over 250,000, not (laughs) hundred. To go dry. And this was partially due to Henry Ford, who wanted a dry workforce at his River Rouge plant, which I believe we actually talked a little bit about last time for a second. And it went from 1,800 licensed saloons in the city in 1918 to around 25,000 illegal blind pigs. Ooh! So illegal saloons by 1925. So in a seven-year span, that's a lot of extra booze coming in. Its proximity to Canada made it a perfect place to smuggle in liquor and attracted rum run- runners and smugglers. By the 19 tw- mid-1920s, around 500,000 cases of Canadian whiskey were coming across the river every month, hence our Canadian whiskey drink today.
1: I see the relation. Now. Yes.
0: Uh, this was either by boat in the summertime or just directly across the water by car. I actually found some photos of like cars half in the river and stuff when they were trying to drive. Across. Like driving across the river? Yeah, cuz it was frozen.
1: If you think oh. about it, yeah,
0: climate change, it's real. And it, we do live in a warmer time. It used to get a lot cold. I mean, we still it gets plenty cold here. Don't get me wrong, but I think the river had more of an availability to freeze during like January, February. Maybe not like you know, for many months, but there was times when the river would actually freeze. And cars were smaller back then. Yeah, that too.
1: I can tell because my driveway is real narrow.
0: Your driveway is very narrow. It scares me backing out of it. Yep, same. Um, it
1: definitely hit my house at least once.
0: But even though so much was coming over the border, more whiskey and beer was being produced within the city itself due to the city's extensive backstreet brewing industry. So there was tons of illegal everything. You look like you want to say something.
1: I was just going to say it's my
0: favorite Backstreet Boys album, Backstreet Brewing. <laughs> Backstreet's brewed... All, all right. No, right. no, no. That's our, like, 15 seconds.
1: <laughs> Not trying to get sued by Backstreet no, Boys. No,
0: please don't. Uh, we have no money. Uh, this was actually coupled, though, with a lot of opium dens and large illegal uh, gambling.
1: I always forget about opium dens being a thing.
0: Yeah. I, I mean, again, we're thinking the 20s and 30s.
1: I always thought that was, like, more Victorian age. I always think, like, Victorian London having all them opium dens.
0: I think it probably was, but I think it just lasted.
1: Like everything else, the Europeans do it first. God. Yeah.
0: I mean, people... It's not a popular thing to do, but people do still smoke opi- opium to It's this not day. the most popular
1: opioid, but...
0: No. Actually, though, when I was 16, this is going to date me a lot, but uh, my father, and my friend's father, took my friend and I to Woodstock. Fun. Yes. And not a place to go with your father when you're 16, but whatever. So we split ways... Often and one of them was somebody was definitely smoking opium, like right in front of me. I was like, it smelled really good though. I was like, what is that angelic smell? And I think my dad was like, um, that's opium, and got very nervous. <laughs> like, what have I done? Uh Did you see the person
1: smoking it? Because I always just imagine like the long pipe.
0: I did see the person smoking and it, it it was kind of it wasn't like a fancy long pipe. I think it looked a little bit more say homemade. From what I recall, sounds right. Yeah. So anyway, back to Detroit's opium dens. So they did exist. There was also a lot of illegal gambling in the city, and basically anything illegal or legal could be easily purchased in Detroit because Michigan was dry three years prior to everyone else. It gave us lots of practice in right. all this nice kind of head stuff. start. Yeah, exactly. So local mafia gangs uh, they they existed. They were existing before this, but they began to form. There began to be more of them, a little uh, more people involved in them, as it were. And with the large wave of immigration between 1880 and 1920, a lot of people were coming into the country, into Detroit in particular, with a history of crime that they had kind of left their home country with and come here. So there was a lot of old world criminals that made their home in Detroit, and they were wanted by authorities in their own place. So a lot of just groups were popping up, basically. Really quick history about groups because we could do an episode on each of the groups from what I was reading, but this crossed over a little bit actually with the Detroit Occult Murders, so I did leave this part in. So gangs such as the Sicilian Immigrant-based Black Hand, so that's the one that in the Detroit Occult Murders, was sort of suspected of being the ones to perform it because somebody did find an extortion letter. However, it was also thought to be like... Not a copycat, but like a a fake extortion letter from the Black Hand or the Mononera. Okay. Yeah. So smaller gangs such as the Sicilian Mafia and Neapolitan Camorra engaged with their extortion rings, and there were many solo con artists also trying to get in on this. They would find a prosperous individual, threaten them with murder of them or their family member, perhaps a kidnapping or two, and then they would destroy their or that they would destroy their piece of business and then also collect. So oftentimes crude drawings of like daggers dripping blood or skull and crossbones or a black handprint were included in these letters. So people were kind of getting freaked out in the city. Since many other immigrants didn't trust the police, then they didn't have to worry about that because they wouldn't be going to them anyway. Mm-hmm. So this eventually led to gang wars between opposing factions. Uh, peace conference. So basically like over turf turf and stuff. Uh-huh. Turf and stuff. It's like <laughs> surf and turf. I don't know. Surf and turf. <laughs> yeah. Uh, a peace conference was called right after Thanksgiving in 1920 with any remaining mafia members and territories were divided by a man named Salvatore "Singing Sam" Catalanote. This left open spaces for new form or gangs to form and this is going to bring me to my main topic. I'm going to tell his you about
1: Singing Sam.
0: It's because he really liked to sing. Yeah, so he just was, like, known for, like, going around. I forget exactly what he would like to sing, but he was just this, like, head mafia dude who really liked singing, so he became Singing Sam Catalone. Or, Cal- Cal- sing- we're just going to refer to him as Singing Sam. Sure. So, my topic today is the Purple Gang. Okay. Have you heard of the Purple Gang before? No. Well, you will know. So. Ooh. In 1917, a mostly Jewish mob began to form on the Hastings Street area of Detroit's Lower East Side, also referred to as Paradise Valley. It was originally comprised of 18 to 20 boys who met at the old Bishop School and quickly started terrorizing their neighborhood. They rolled the drunks, they beat up other kids, and extorted money from local merchants. You know, normal teen stuff. Silly teens. Yeah. <laughs> so the young group went to work for two local mobsters who owned a corn sugar warehouse that sold supplies to make beer and wine for family consumption. Because under the 18th Amendment, a certain amount was actually allowed for personal use within the house, but you just couldn't exceed that amount, and you couldn't buy it out in public or anything like that. So the Young Purples soon graduated from petty crime to hijacking and extortion rackets. So kind of looking at the groups around them, they started doing that kind of stuff, too. Uh, They made their reputation as ruthless hijackers that would take whiskey from other mobs and kill any person who was carrying the load. So since all this was coming across, they were like, we're going to get in on that. They also took cuts of the profits that other gangsters made from gambling, prostitution, and drug dealing. Also, they ran a local wire service providing horse racing information to local horse betting parlors. So they were kind of like doing whatever they could to get whatever kind of money that they could.
1: A little bit of everything. A
0: little bit of everything. Diversified. Yeah, very diversified, especially for such a young group. And the gang hijacked prize fight films and forced movie theaters to show them for a very high fee, because apparently that was a big thing. And they also defrauded insurance companies by staging fake accidents. So if they could do it, they did it. They were also possibly suspected by the FBI to be involved with the Lindbergh baby kidnapping. I couldn't find a ton of information on how. But they were suspected of that,
1: so I also don't know a ton about the Lindbergh baby kidnapping
0: I don't know a lot. I know that he was he was like a Lindbergh was famous, and so it it had a lot of media coverage mm-hmm. so the purples they had a co- they were young still, so they ha- had some mentors named Charlie Leader or Lighter, I'm not sure how to pronounce it, and Henry Shore. So these were established gangsters within the city of Detroit, and they were experts at setting up brew warehouses throughout the city. And these were referred to as alley breweries, and they could produce thousands of gallons of product a week. So the Purples became like the muscle for them, and these two used to push into territory of like other mobs. During this time, the Purples were known as the Oakland Sugarhouse Gang. Have That's you, fun. Yeah. So have you heard of the Sugar House?
1: Oh, that's a restaurant or bar, It's right? a
0: bar, yeah, in Corktown. Uh, yeah. Really nice. Like, they have, like, every fancy cocktail you could ever think of. They have a lot of old-timey drinks. Uh, it's kind of, it's like, it's not a speakeasy, but it has, like, a speakeasy vibe They have sarsaparilla? Probably. They also have the best truffle oil popcorn to ever have existed, I'm pretty sure. It's very delicious.
1: I'm still not sh- exactly sure what truffle oil is, because, like, I know, like, there's one place you can get it on fries, and I'm like, I'm like, I mean, it's Obviously, like, the oil of truffles, but, like... It's... Truffles are like mushrooms, right?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I've had it on fries, too, but it's different, I think, on the popcorn for some reason. And I think there's some truffle oil things that are actual truffle oil and some that are, like, infused. Yeah. So I think there's, like, a variation, too. I don't know. I'm sounding very douchey We're not a culinary podcast. No. And I really don't know what I'm talking about with these things. But it's really tasty.
1: Okay. No,
0: Yeah. So... They were the Oakland Sugar House gang. They set up their own alcohol cutting plants and cut, hijacked whiskey with water and other ingredients. So one bottle can now be five bottles. That's, that's like th-
1: real watered down. Yeah. Damn.
0: I wrote in my notes, that's math. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the original labels were removed and replaced with one of their own. Their most popular being Old Log Cabin Whiskey. Okay. Yes.
1: That makes me think of the maple syrup.
0: Yeah, <laughs> it does. That's exactly what I thought of, too. So a couple questions. Why are they the purple gang? Like, where did this the word purple come from? There are a few stories about it. One says that a member of the gang was a boxer who wore purple shorts during his bouts. Eh, okay. Yeah. Another one speaks of the Hastings Street area that they originated in and the shopkeepers there referring to them and saying, quote, these boys are not like other youngsters. They're tainted. They're like the color of bad meat. Purple. So...
1: That's some real bad meat.
0: Yeah, it's, I don't... I No, no, thank you. Do not eat purple meat. Yeah, no, thanks. That sounds gross. Um, another rumor states that they were named after two members, Sam and Ben Purple. Also a boring story. and But it's most likely that they their name formed during the time of a labor strife called the Cleaner and Dyer's Wars, which I'll get to in a little bit. During this time, they would throw purple dye on clothing in order to force shops to join a union, which they would then exploit the shop owners through. Okay. So... A couple of them have really fascinating names, and I am going to read a few of them out loud. I'm not going to Please read all do. 18 to 20, but I love these nicknames, so I kept in the good nicknames. So the leaders of the Purples were the Bernstein Brothers, Abe, Joe, Ray, and Isidore, and they each had their own role.
1: Any relation to the Bernstein Bears?
0: They No. And also, I had also heard that Sam Bernstein, like the law group, was related oh. to them. They're not. Oh, Yeah, they were totally different. Line of Bernsteins, even spelled a little differently.
1: Did you call Sam to ask?
0: <laughs> I should have. Yes. I did not. Some of their other members were Joseph Joe Honeyboy Miller, <laughs> Hyman Two Gun Harry Altman, Sam Fatty Bernstein, David Davy Boy Feldman, Michael One Arm Mike Gelfond, Abe Abe the Agent Zeusman, Jack the Enforcer Bud, Jack Yonkel the Polack Selbin, Zygman Ziggy Selbin, Sam the Gorilla, Davis. Irving, Little Irv. Shapiro. Isidore, Uncle Izzy, Kaminsky. Sam, Sam and Purple. Cohen, Ben, Benny Purple. Cohen. The Cohens. they got real creative with them. Yeah. Uh, Sam, Sam Kay, Kurt. Myron, Young Mikey, Selleck. Harry, Chinky Metzer. Meltzer. Not sure if that's like a an Appropriate name or not, I'm not sure what that means. I don't know. Uh, Abe Buffalo Harry Rosenberg, Leo the Killer Edelstein, Joseph Monkey Joe Holtzman, and then a few others, but those were the best were, ones were the most fun of the nicknames. Have uh, you ever heard
1: the song Grade Nine at Bare Naked Ladies? I don't think so. Um, I don't know why that made me think of that because like there's this one point in the song where like they call me Four Eyes, they call me, and at the end, it's just like they called me Eddie. <laughs> Like some of those names where it's like Ben, Benny. You know, it was yeah. like like Sid the purple guy. It's just like <laughs> Benny.
0: Yeah. <laughs> like they could have they could have been a little more
1: You could have tried harder creative with it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Come on, Benny.
0: Um so one of their favorite places was to meet on Oakland Avenue at the Schwitz, yes. which is newly reopened in the past couple of years. Uh and at that time it was owned by Chinky Metzler, Meltzer. So one of the Purple Gang. Uh It was a perfect meeting place because can you wear a wire there, you think?
1: It'd get wet.
0: Yeah. Can it be bugged inside? Nope. Yeah. So they loved it because you could have open meetings. Also, could somebody wear a piece of any kind? Nope. Nope. Because you see it all. You see it all. So by 1925, the All-Jewish Purple Gang uh, was led by the Ford Bernstein Brothers, as I mentioned. And the East Side River Gang was led by a St. Louis transplant named Pete Licavoli. And they became le- leaders in the bootlegging industry. So both, both groups kind of worked together, but in, like, separate territories to be part of bootlegging. And they agreed to territorial restriction laid out by Salvador Cantalónote. So that was the... Singin' Sam. Singin' Sam. Good memory. Uh, so he was basically, like, the godfather of Detroit. Like, Singin' Sam. Love that for him. Yes. And they were welcomed to the, into the Detroit Underworld Crime Network. The groups ran the majority of the large-scale rum running, uh, both north and south of the city. So pretty much anywhere it was coming across, these two groups were in charge of it. In 1925, Abe Bernstein, one of the leaders of the perps, teamed up with Francis X. Martel, president of the Detroit Federation of Labor, and formed a racketeer-controlled Wholesale Cleaners and Dyers Association, so a union for cleaners and dryers known as the WCDA, armed members of the Purples would attend meetings and collect dues from all of the members. How convenient. If a plant owner refused to join the union, things would start to happen. So things would happen like chemicals would be added to clothing that would cause them to combust. Truckloads of laundry were hijacked. Sometimes the driver being killed in the process. Oh no. Yep. Beaten to death. So not like even gunned down, but like beaten to death.
1: So definitely not an accident.
0: No, definitely not. The building might be blown up with dynamite or a bomb, and sometimes purple dye would be thrown into piles of laundry, as I'd mentioned.
1: That seems like the least like traumatic. Like, oh no, my shirt's purple. Yeah. I mean, I'd take a purple shirt over getting beaten to death or blown up.
0: Oh yeah, I don't even like purple, but yeah, turn my clothes you don't purple. You like purple? I mean, so here's the thing: growing up, I had to wear a lot of purple.
1: Was it for Renaissance stuff?
0: No, no, because you have to be royalty to wear purple out there. Oh. Uh... Yeah, uh, in Renaissance times, purple and blue because they were like hard dyes to get. They like represented royalty, so I actually wasn't allowed to there. But that being said, like for some reason, I was just it was deemed that purple was my color, and I think my mother also really likes purple, which is like fine. But I just had a lot of purple growing up. I remember one time I was in, I I took dance as a kid, Uh and we all got separate colored costumes, like the same costume but different colors for one show. And they gave me purple, and I was so upset. I was like, I wanted the magenta Aww. or the turquoise, but I got purple. Like, yeah.
1: I went through a purple phase, and like the end of high school, early college, and there's like this, like my almost like self-imposed uniform for like my freshman and sophomore year of college is like I'd wear the same American Eagle purple hoodie, <laughs> some kind of shitty band tee from Hot Topic, and skinny Naturally. jeans. Naturally. I had my hair dyed black at one point because I had a lot of feelings.
0: Did you have, like, vans on, too? I feel like vans. Okay. That was my second choice. Um, But, yeah, I would take purple clothing over being beaten to death any day. Just putting that out into the universe. So, between 1925 and 1928, hundreds of thousands of dollars were extorted from the cleaning industry in Detroit. With at least two union business agents, quote-unquote, taken for rides. Uh, where they were shot in the back of the head and their bodies were tossed into the street. Wow, wow. Yeah. So Martel, the the guy who was not part of the Purples, but kind of teamed up with them for this, he really didn't like this and he kind of wanted out. So he tried urging business owners to file complaints with the Wayne County prosecutor, which resulted in the Purple Gang trial of 1928. So this trial charged 13 Purples with extortion and ended with the acquittal of all 13. So they felt pretty invincible at this point in time. I mean, it sounds like they kind of were, so I get that. So during this time, too, in 1927, Detroit was the nation's fourth largest city with over 1.5 million, as we've mentioned. Uh, The rapid size increase and the passing of national prohibition was the perfect recipe to create this large underground uh, ring. And New York and Chicago were getting more media coverage, so Detroit was kind of the perfect grounds for everybody, and especially with proximity to Canada. So mob wars soon started between the Italian, Irish, and Jewish bootleggers over territory. The Purples were involved in this turf war with the Licavoli squad mentioned earlier, led by brothers Tommy and Pete. In March of 1927, three men who had been brought to Detroit as hired assassins for the Purples were killed. Uh, I will go a little bit more into that later. Uh, It was believed to be retaliation, though, for a double cross. So, yes. Uh, The murders took place in an apartment leased by the Purple Gang members Eddie Fletcher and Abe Axler and maybe a man named Fred Burke. The three were questioned, but no one was ever convicted of murder. It was first reported a time of a submachine gun being used in the Detroit underworld for slaying, and it would be known as the Miraflores Massacre. There's going to be a few more massacres coming up. Oh, no. Yes, they really started to like that submachine gun. So the Purples began terrorizing Detroiters with street executions of their enemies. So meaning they just execute and leave him. Uh, they killed an officer named Vivian Welsh on February 1st of 1927. Oh, no. I know. But Welsh was later revealed to be a dirty cop trying to extort money from the Purples. So, All right. yeah. But this case is still unsolved today.
1: Of who killed her? Yeah. no one I'm was... guessing Vivian's a woman.
0: I believe so. I could not actually find that. I looked it up, but it just kept saying Vivian Welsh. Because and... I like that.
1: There was a female cop back then.
0: I do too, but I'm also not going to make the assumption one way or the other because I couldn't Vivian corroborate it. Vivian seems like
1: a pretty feminine name. It though. does, yeah. Because like, I've heard like Ashley for boys or... Mm-hmm.
0: But I've never heard of a male Vivian. Right. It's tough to say though. Yeah. Who knows? So in 1927, Al Scarface Capone, heard of him? I have. He So he was big Chicago mob boss. Yeah. He came to Detroit and he wanted to set up with the Capone, Capone organization a liquor franchise. So he kind of already had this going, but he met with the Purples and representatives of the river gang. So the, you know, north, south, have all the river kind of thing. Yeah. He was told the river belonged to the Purples and business would either go through them or not at all. So Capone was like, okay, let's do this and made an agreement to purchase shipments of old log cabin that fine Watered fine whiskey, down ass whiskey yep which would then be transported to chicago by members of the purple gang so this lasted about two years and at the t- time capone's gang was involved in a turf war with george bugs moran uh i think sometimes it's also like bugsy maybe but like bugs moran was kind of i think the well-known name i've known um, bugs bunny maybe they're right. related yeah i mean quite possibly
1: i'll check ancestor.com later
0: yeah So Moran and Capone had both been using the purples as their rum runners, but Moran decided to contract with a cheaper source for the whiskey, but his clients did not really appreciate it. And out of spite, because he kind of, they had an agreement and then he went against it, Capone cut Moran off from the purple source and Moran's north side gang began to hijack truckloads of purple whiskey, which started a large gang war that would be known around the world. So again, Chicago is getting a little bit more media than here in Detroit at this point in time. Compone and the Purples worked together then to create a trap to eliminate Moran. So a phony liquor deal was set up with Moran, and the Purples dressed as Chicago PD and staked out the drop-off location on February 14th of 1929. And after inaccurately identifying Moran—so they thought they saw Moran himself. That's who they were really trying to get. It wasn't him— They ended up shooting down seven Moran gangsters and a dentist who often associated with them.
1: Is this the Valentine's Day
0: Massacre? This is the Valentine's Day Massacre.
1: It was like February 14th. I think that's Valentine's
0: Day. Yes. It was never solved, and to this day is known as that. So this was like a pretty big deal in Chicago, but also involved... I mean, I've
1: had shitty Valentine's Days, but that's...
0: That's That's... Worse. Yeah,
1: that is.
0: <laughs> uh, throughout the 20s, the underworld of Detroit had a period of relative peace, I guess, like kind of as much as you could during this time. Uh, homicide, Most homicides were rooted in intra-gang conflicts rather than turf wars. So it was more between people within one gang rather than outside of it. This only lasted, though, until the death of Singing Sam. Oh, no. I know. February 17th, 1930. But he died from complications from pneumonia so it wasn't... It wasn't a great death, but it wasn't...
1: It wasn't like he got, like, shot or... Yeah, like he wasn't
0: gunned down. It was more natural causes. I don't know how he contracted pneumonia. I don't know if he was outside with no socks. I don't know, but...
1: I mean, I feel like if you're that deep in the mob, I think that's a pretty good way to go.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I would think so. So... After his death, Eastsiders and Westsiders began to brawl again because he was gone, and he was really the one who kind of kept them in line. Yeah, Yeah. And the paper called this the Crosstown Mob Wars. July of 1930 was called Bloody July, as there was a gangland murder every day. Holy shit. Yeah, so it got pretty bad for a while. As the 1930s began to dawn, the Purple Gang ruled Detroit, the, the underworld of Detroit, unchallenged by anybody really at this point. They operated out of the book Cadillac downtown, which still exists. So that exists. building
1: was used at some point.
0: It was definitely used. And they hung out with like movie stars and dated showgirls and were like living this like lavish lifestyle. And they were invincible at this point. They really felt like they were unfettered. Uh, they felt protected by City Hall as a series of weekly payments were made on the doorsteps of high government officials. So they also thought they kind of had the law on their side a little too. In 1930, a well-known radio personality, Jerry Buckley, was murdered in the lobby of a hotel downtown. It is unknown if this was the work of the Purples or the local Sicilian mob. No one was charged, and it still remains unsolved to this day, but it also made big media coverage since it was a well-known media person. Uh. Between
1: 1927
0: and 1935, 18 Purples were brutally murdered by members of their own gang. Shit going hard for about a decade almost at this point in time, and then things started to unravel a little bit. So their self-destruction was accelerated on September 16th of 1931 from an incident referred to as the Collingwood Manor Massacre.
1: Another massacre.
0: Another massacre. It's full of massacres. During the mid-1920s, gangsters from all over the U.S. started coming to Detroit. Like I said, it was kind of a hotbed, and Didn't have as much media attention, so it was a really good place for people who wanted that kind of lifestyle to come to. And some were coming from Chicago after being forced out by Capone's gang. So there were these three dudes, and they were sticking up Capone-protected speakeasies and basically given the choice to leave horizontally or vertically out of the city of Chicago.
1: Love that. Yep. Love that phrasing. (laughs)
0: Yes. So they chose vertically, and they came to Detroit. So they arrived here, and due to their Jewish heritage, they were introduced to the Bernstein Brothers. Uh, the three gunmen were put to work on the Little Jewish Navy, as it was called, but quickly became very uncontrollable. So they would backstab anyone to get what they wanted. They really had no, like, allegiance, as it were. Radicals. Uh, they were very radical. On September 16th of 1931, they were called in for a peace meeting after having a fallout with the Bernstein brothers at Collingwood Manor Apartments on Detroit's west side. This was actually an ambush. Surprise. Uh, they were shot to death by Harry Fleischer, Irving Miller, and Harry Kewel, Cowell, and Ray Bernstein, so one of the leaders, drove the getaway car. Authorities caught up with them when they burst into Fletcher's apartment and found the men, Abe Axler, Irving Milberg, and Eddie Fletcher, playing cards. They also arrested Ray Bernstein and Harry uh, Kewell as being like affiliated with this murder, or murders, because there were three of them. The men were tried, convicted, and sentenced to life terms for, f- for first-degree murder. So this is like, they've gotten away with all this stuff time after time before, even after their 1928 trials. This is three years later. They're actually tried and actually convicted of the thing they did this time. So Harry Fleischer, one of the men accused, actually went on the run, though, until 1932 and somehow escaped prosecution for the murders, but did serve time later in Jackson, actually, uh, for armed robbery in an Oakland County gambling house. Huh. Yeah. So by 1935, most of the significant leaders of the Purple Gang were either dead or in prison. So basically, by 1935, the Purple Gang was no more. Collectively, the ground had over uh, the group had over the ground. Why would I say the ground? I mean, the ground actually had this too because it had over 500 murders in a 10-year span.
1: people in the ground. Yeah,
0: so there were over five hundred people in the ground because of the group over a ten-year span. So that's like fifty murders. That's like that's a murder a week. Damn. Yeah, that's awful. Um, The Detroit area mafia bosses and Bernstein brothers met, and it was agreed that the Italian mob would take over the Purple Gang's rackets at this time. Abe Bernstein was no longer in charge, but stayed a powerful player in the underworld. He ran a bookmaking and loan sharking operation and was met with by Joe Zerilli and Black Bill Tocco until he died of a heart attack in 1968. So he kind of stayed involved with this, like, Italian mob, but, like, kind of as a side figure. And Zerilli and Tocco had actually been footing the bill for him to stay in the penthouse suite at the book Cadillac since the 1940s. So he, like, lived in this, like, fat-ass apartment for decades
1: that's pretty cool. Like, you know, that book Cadillac building.
0: It's a nice building.
1: It is. I've never seen the... Well, I don't think anyone's really seen on the inside lately. But I went uh,
0: to a wedding there once. It's open? Um, oh, I'm
1: thinking of Book Tower.
0: Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Because I think, I think the book Cadillac... It's the Western Book Cadillac now, but oh, like... Oh, yeah
1: yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: It was nice. I mean, it was a few years ago. I don't really...
1: I'm sure it's it still nice.
0: nice. Yeah. I guess I sh- I just made the assumption that the, that was the same building. I should look it up. yeah. But I I think so because I think it was a hotel then as well or an apartment source of some kind because this guy was living there. Yeah. Uh, Joe and Izzy Bernstein, so two of the other brothers, both retired in California with their earnings from their glory days and stayed semi-legit the rest of their lives, both dying of natural causes in the 80s. So they kind of got real lucky. Yeah. And then they just got to go retire on the West Coast. That's crazy. I mean, they let over 500 murders in 10 years. Like they led a group that did that. That's insane. Yeah. Uh, Ray was released from prison in 1964. So he was the one who was there during that Collingwood, uh, manor massacre. And he died about three years later in a nursing home as the result of a stroke he had had in jail. So his life was less glorious than his brothers. Yeah. So other than that, I mean, that's, that's the, the very trimmed down history of the purple gang. There has been a movie made about them in 1959, which is interesting because a lot of those members were...
1: Still alive. Still alive
0: again. during that. Other than that, I ha- I couldn't find any other... What was the movie called? The Purple Gang.
1: <laughs> again, yep. America's very literal.
0: Yes, exactly. But yeah, but they've they've come up a bit. And if you start looking around Detroit, there is like a lot of nods and mentions to things that happen under them, like the Sugar House and, you know, things like that. So I thought it was interesting.
1: It is, and like it's interesting the schwitz is still around i don't know i i bet it was called the schwitz back then but like
0: i think it was really yeah yeah i think i i don't know for sure but i'm pretty sure when they relaunched it i think the whole idea was to
1: like kind of recreate
0: yeah and bring it back and like bring back a, a part of history i didn't know it was owned by like an, a purple gang member back in the day that that was new information to me which is very interesting Okay. Um, I know that they have like food and stuff there sometimes, and somebody told think me they have, that like brunch. Yeah, but there's like some really good Russian dishes, I believe. Huh. Yeah. Somebody was telling me they went for one of those brunches, which I would totally love to do. Field trip. Yeah, I love that everything is a field trip. Right. Yeah. Every episode, field trip. Uh, perhaps maybe maybe someday we'll actually have some sort of um, field trip club. Yes. <laughs> exactly. Love that. Yeah. But yeah, so that that's the the purple gang. One of Detroit's most notorious gangs. There were plenty of other gangs. Like I said, I didn't know how deep that all went. We could do an episode on all of those gangs, I'm sure, and find a lot of information. But this was like the well, the most well-known.
1: That is so interesting because like I've, one, never heard of them. And I don't know. It's just kind of like... Because there's not really like gang violence here now.
0: No, not like that. But I think like... It's such a weird... Use of, the, like, the word gang, because obviously, like, I think it has a different connotation today than it do- it did back in the 1930s. Yeah. Because um, back then, we were really talking about, like, the mob and, like, mobsters and things like that, and we're we're so far removed from that. Although, isn't there that one reality show, Married to the Mob, or whatever? Probably. I think it was on, like, VH1 or something for a while. I know I watched part of it. Uh, it was very interesting uh-huh. and ridiculous, as all reality shows are but it was about like kind of contemporaries of like that kind of a a mob or gang. Uh uh-huh. uh. And I, I I it's just a world I know very little about.
1: Same. Definitely do not have any mob ties.
0: No. Wink wink. Yeah. Uh...
1: <laughs> no, I always wish I did though cuz like
0: <laughs> you, you wish you did. <laughs> yeah, I wish I had mob
1: ties cuz like I
0: like... mean, you could speak like...
1: Really cool, <laughs> right? And like, I mean, I have four different vowels in my last name. And that has to count for something. Yeah, that's true. Yeah,
0: I I only have two, three, three. I can count
1: two different,
0: two different ones. Three total. Yes, three total. But yeah, I mean, I I just can't imagine like living in the 30s and like, I mean Al Capone, like, yeah. And how much did people actually know? That's that's what I'm really curious about because in retrospect we we have all these documents and things that we can look at and articles and whatever that we can research and find out these stories but like how much did the general public know when this was all going on
1: yeah i wonder if it was like one of those things that was kind of just like unspoken but mm-hmm. like everyone was like oh those purple gang it again
0: yeah exactly and like 50 years from now when somebody's talking about 2019 like what's going to come up in their research as far as like I Snapchat. wonder if the people knew... Mom. Well, <laughs> you're right. <laughs> oh, look at that poop emoji. Yeah. People thought that was funny back then. Look at those I don't know why they're talking dog filters. like in the future.
1: <laughs> the future is actually the 1920s.
0: Everybody goes back to talking like this, you see.
1: All the newspapers <laughs> and uh, time.
0: It's a bee's knees.
1: I mean, 50 years from now, according to Sean, we will all be dead, so...
0: Okay, so we're all gonna be in the ground talking like that? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Just a bit of dirt in my mouth. <laughs> <laughs> Makes it hard to breathe.
1: I Six feet under. <laughs> Can't get out any deeper. Oh, uh,
0: I love it. Yeah.
1: But yeah, that was a great story. Thank yeah. you for that.
0: Thank you for listening. Yeah.
1: So you ready for your two truths and a lie?
0: I am so ready.
1: So. I decided to do Lizzo because we're yes. both big Lizzo fans. We talked about her last episode. I love Lizzo, yes. Same. So here's my uh, two truths and a lie about Lizzo. Lizzo's from Chicago. Her real name is Melissa. And she toured with Florence and the Machine.
0: Oh, this one's hard. Yes. They all sound true, and I don't like it. <laughs> yeah. I feel like I should know what her real name is because I enjoy her, but I'm also really bad at that kind of stuff. But... Wait, the last one, is she toured with Florence the Machine? Yeah. Like opening, was that part of it, or just toured with Florence the Machine?
1: I think she was, it didn't really specify.
0: Okay. I almost tricked you. Yeah. See, I want to say that's the lie, but I feel like it's too specific, unless you just changed the name of the band.
1: I'm saying nothing. I don't know nothing about nothing.
0: I know. I wanna say, I'm pretty sure she is from Chicago, but I could also be very wrong about that. But she feels like a Midwest girl. I'm gonna go with her name being Melissa, because it, it seems like it should be based off of like Lizzo, Melissa. Uh huh. I'm gonna, but I'm gonna think that that could be your trick. Okay, I'm, that's, that's my, my vote. Is
1: Melissa? Yeah. Her name actually is Melissa. Dang
0: it. It does make sense. It's a cute nickname for Melissa, too. It is, it's adorable
1: right love her um and she did floor she did tour with florence the machine and she also toured with hame too i don't know hame
0: yeah i call them ham band (laughs) i don't know why (laughs) i just do the
1: lie is that she's from chicago she's actually from detroit
0: oh you know what and i feel dumb now because she kind of said that last night and i was like in my state of like just bliss of being there i was like Cool. and Right. Then, you were like, sing the songs. Mm-hmm. And then later I was like, wait, did she say that? And I feel like I should know that.
1: She Yeah. So she was born in Detroit, but she later moved to Houston, Texas.
0: Oh, okay. 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 That makes more sense then. I was going to be really mad if she like started in Detroit and I had no idea. You know what I mean? like.
1: Yeah. No, she... Her...
0: I mean, I do live under a rock. I don't know cool things. It takes a really long time for me to know anything, so... This is not shocking.
1: I mean, you're better than Molly who called her that flute lady once. But her real name is Melissa Vivian Jefferson.
0: Oh, that's a beautiful name. Right? Vivian. I feel like that's a, I, I don't know that that's a great like first name, but I feel like that's a really nice middle name.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So she lived in Michigan until she was 10. Then she moved to Texas. Okay. Started rapping as a teenager in the southwest part of Houston known as Elif. And at 14, she formed a group called Cornrow Click with her best friends.
0: What a little, like, like um, work, work! I don't know. What a driven human. Right. She's great.
1: I can't wait to see her. I'm so happy you saw her. It, uh, was, glo-
0: it was such a glorious treat. And I had no idea it was going to happen until, like, three days before it did. So I was like, yes. Yeah. Take me to her.
1: She's the, like, She'd be someone I'd be excited to meet in real life. Because there's some celebrities yeah. where I'm like, no way in hell i ever want to meet them.
0: Well, yeah, I wouldn't want to, like, shatter my...
1: Right. But I feel like she'd be someone... I feel like she's
0: very authentic
1: with who she is yeah, she's... on stage and off.
0: Yeah. see the... Even the way she talked to the crowd, it felt very genuine mm. and, like, sincere when she was just, like, talking in between songs and stuff, like...
1: Real quick, what's your favorite Lizzo song?
0: <sighs> it changes based on my mood.
1: I totally get that.
0: Yeah. I mean, it... I'm not good at song names, so I don't know all the song names. Like, lately, it's been the phone one.
1: I That was the first song I knew by her, and I love that it's song. It's so fun. She
0: definitely sang it last night. It was amazing. Uh,
1: I'd say mine is probably Good as Hell or Juice.
0: I think Good as Hell is, like, classically the best. Because ba- I yeah. think that one, to me, feels like everybody should just listen to it. Like, that is a song that has something for everybody. Yeah. Because, like, I mean, even if you don't. Even if you don't do your hair or flip your hair and do your, you know what I mean. Like it doesn't matter. Like you should. It's you should, but it's just about feeling. Well, it's about feeling good. As ho- like that's just yeah. great. Everybody should feel that way. That's amazing.
1: Right. She's great.
0: Mm-hmm. I like the. So we're
1: now a Lizzo appreciation podcast. Yes.
0: <laughs> uh, also, if you are Lizzo, want to write? No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> that would be amazing.
1: That would be ideal. I would Lizzo pee my listens. pants. Same.
0: So we should probably wrap, wrap it? up. Yeah. <laughs>
1: So if you want to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Detroit strange mm-hmm. s- Facebook page now too.
0: We do. We'll actually have stuff on the Facebook page soon. We promise. Yes. We, we have a f- couple followers. Ooh. I was like, oh, thanks for following us. We have nothing there. Yeah. But we will. And yeah, other than that, Detroit. Stay strange. Goodbye. This has been a production of Planet Amp Podcast, powered by Pinecast. Our theme song was created by Sax and Violence.